Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard Church. We're so glad that you chose to worship with us this morning. Uh, There is a lot of cohesion, a lot of community, a lot of power when we gather and worship together and pray together. So we're just glad that you chose to spend your Sunday morning with us. Before I jump into the message, I want to I want to just address some of the stuff that's happening here uh, in our midst over the course of the next, you know, four, five, six weeks. Life is really about to get crazy for us individually, as well as just this church. I mean, Thanksgiving, all the way through Christmas and the new year, there's just going to be a lot of things going on in our lives. But I don't want you to forget about the, the ways that you'll be able to give back this holiday season. And we have a variety of different things that you can get plugged into. So I just want to make sure you're aware the best way to find that information is votrweekly.org. On that announcement section, we're always going to be talking about some of the things that are in our immediate future. If you hop online, follow us on social media, we'll be posting about all of that stuff. And and some of those things, they take registration. So we want to register either online or out at the iPads after services and things like that. We've got Thanksgiving outreaches We have Christmas outreaches. We'll do the nursing home visits again. There's a rich history of that here at our church. The women's brunch uh, Christmas event is coming up. That's maybe one of the more well-attended events that we have here at our church. Uh, And guys can be involved in that too. And so there's just a variety of different things that you can get plugged into. And we didn't think it was enough, so we're adding another event this year called Blue Christmas. Uh, We'll talk about that in a few minutes here in the in the talk, uh, but just a lot of things happening. I know individually in your life, but in the life of our church as well. So make sure that you stay connected and maybe get plugged in in one or two of those things. So you uh, saw in the video, we're in the midst of a series uh, from the book of James, almost wrapping up. We've almost made it all the way to then. We're gonna, we're gonna preach on James this week and next week, and then you'll be able to give yourself a round of applause for making it through this challenging book. Uh, but let's pray this morning, invite God's blessing on our time. And then we'll jump into the text uh, for this message. God, thank you that your presence is here with us. And we recognize that in the midst of our mornings, it's easy for us to take our eyes off of you. And we know that you never take your eyes off of us. And so would you draw our eyes back to your presence, draw our eyes back to your love. And we invite you to speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. James 5, verses 13 to 16 This is how it starts. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. The last few weeks as we've gathered, James has been directly challenging us as individuals and as a community, putting his finger on different areas and really pointing out some of the ways that the the church can grow in spiritual maturity, the ways that you and I can grow in spiritual maturity You'll remember some of the early messages, they were so direct. You know, he would say things like, quit complaining about your trials and your suffering. Instead of, instead of complaining, consider it pure joy when you have trials. 
And then he would continue and say, your faith is, is actually useless unless it gets you out and going and, and having some action behind what you believe in. He said things like, quit using your tongue to curse, but use it to bless. Stop gossiping and being on that train. Instead, lift people up with your voice. And Bristol last week, I think, del- delivered a great message on, on wisdom and how we need to lean into the wisdom that comes from above instead of adopting the wisdom of the world. But in this text he begins to kind of shift his tone a little bit. This, this text is a little bit less pointing out ways that you can improve or ways that need to be corrected. Instead, this almost comes off more as an exhortation or, or a word of encouragement, a way to build the church up and say, this is who we could be. This is what we could become if we, if we press into this text. Remember, the whole purpose of James is to bring about spiritual maturity to the church. And at the end of his letter here, you can see him really beginning to flip the script almost and and calling out the goodness of what could happen as we gather together. And of course, James doesn't cover everything that the church is designed to do or designed to be in these few verses. But I think there's a, a few really key points that we can draw out, things that we can apply directly to our own individual lives as well as the life of this church as we grow together. And, and honestly, as, as our church is slowly growing and moving forward together, I think these are some of the things that we actually have to be vigilant over to make sure they remain part of our community, to make sure they remain part of our DNA. So let's press in and see what James has to say. The first thing that I pull from the text that I feel like he's calling us to, the thing that he might remind us this morning is that you're called to vulnerability, You're called to live a life of vulnerability. It's a huge value in the kingdom of God. It's a huge value in the way that God wants us to interact with each other, being authentic with one another, but but even a step further than just authenticity, actually presenting what you're authentically going through in a vulnerable way, a way where other people have access to that, a way where they can connect with you over those areas in your life, whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling with, presenting them in a vulnerable way. And I, and I think there's, there's a call for us here in the book of James to be vulnerable with God, but also to be vulnerable with each other, to actually have kind of a, a vertical vulnerability as well as a horizontal type of vulnerability. If you look at verse 13, this is what James says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. James is is telling us to be real, to be authentic, to show up in vulnerable space, to not show up with some kind of spiritual veneer over the things that you're navigating, the things that you're struggling with, but actually just be honest about what you're struggling with. Spiritual vulnerability is, is more important, is greater than spiritual veneer because with that veneer, that kind of exterior facade and happy, clappy Christianity, you're not gonna actually have any access to what you're really struggling with. You're not gonna allow God into those, those places where you need him the most. James says, are you suffering? You need to pray. Don't gather and pretend like everything is Okay. He's inviting the community. He's inviting you individually. If you're really navigating struggles to show up with vulnerability to say, this isn't working right for me. I need prayer. 
It almost breaks my heart as a, as, a, as a pastor of the church here when we have prayer ministry as we do every Sunday morning happening up here, when I know that there are people in our community that are suffering and struggling and going through incredibly hard times that won't come forward for prayer. And I know there's like a hundred reasons why you wouldn't come forward for prayer. It's a little out of your comfort zone. It takes a lot of courage and boldness. But what happens when we create this space and what happens when you have the courage and the boldness to say, I actually need help in this area. And now you're taking vulnerability and you're allowing it to interact with the Holy Spirit and God meets you in that place. You kind of open your heart up to him and you say, this is what's really going on. I actually need you to come around me and pray for me. And those are the tender places where the Holy Spirit can begin transforming your heart. We've had people who have come forward and experienced God in amazing ways. Of course, there are people who come forward for prayer and they wonder if God's doing anything at all right? They, the prayer was nice, but it didn't necessarily resonate with them. They go back to their seat. They're like, I didn't feel God's presence. I didn't feel his love. They didn't get those nice little goosebumps that kind of tune you in and maybe God's doing something. None of that. But God's still moving. I mean, we even have a song about this now that we've been singing the last few weeks, right? Even when I don't feel it, God, you're moving. Even when I don't see it, you're moving. And even when we don't experience him, when we're getting prayer, God is still doing things in your heart, rearranging pieces that need to be rearranged and transforming you into the likeness of his son, Jesus. Of course, we also have amazing stories, right? Just a couple of weeks ago, someone came forward for prayer and, and their testimony was, I, I don't know what's happening, but I just feel God's presence crashing over me wave after wave after wave. The prayer was nice, but what was great was this experience that I had as you were praying for me. These are real things that are happening on Sunday mornings as we gather, because when you take prayer and vulnerability, it creates space for God to move. James is saying, don't, don't do the pretend church thing. Don't elevate spiritual veneer and, and happy, clappy Christianity when things are simply just going lousy for you. This isn't what James is calling us to. It's, it's, it's not the type of culture that we want to create as a church. We want a church that's authentic and vulnerable, just down to earth, allows you to bring all of your stuff and invite God to move in your life. It's one of the reasons why we've decided to launch this new event called Blue Christmas. I, mean, I, I mentioned it at the beginning of the service, but Blue Christmas is going to be, I, I think, a powerful opportunity for many of our people in our church to participate in, in this new thing that we're doing. We're still going to do all of our normal Christmas Eve services. We're going to do the, the normal uh, Christmas outreach to the nursing homes, of course, but Blue Christmas, it's going to be a different kind of Christmas uh, event. It's actually going to happen on winter solstice, the longest and darkest day of the year. And it's a Christmas service designed for people who are struggling, suffering, or maybe even mourning this holiday season. Because if, if you've lost a loved one or you've been navigating sickness throughout the year, or maybe a relationship has been fractured in the past months, Christmas might be a hard season for you. It might be a hard season for you where you're now going through the holiday season for the first time with this new kind of pain in your heart. And we wanna be very intentional and very purposeful about creating a space for you to connect with God and process some of that pain. Last year, when my 
brother died, I would have loved a service like this to just sit and reflect and to pray and to talk with God about some of the things that I was processing. And I think I'll probably be going this year. And I already have a list of people that I'm going to bring with me who I know are in the same kind of place. And Blue Christmas, I realize Blue Christmas isn't going to be for everybody. It's still a few weeks away, but we wanted to share that because this is part of creating an authentic and vulnerable space together, creating opportunities for for us to talk about the things that really hurt, to create space for God to to invade some of those places in our heart that are just crying on the inside. And I realize it, it won't be for everyone, but I think it'll be a really good space for our community. But, you know, James continues. He he says, authenticity isn't just about the hardships either. You know, being authentic means that if you're having a great day, if you're having a great week, you can just have a great week. This is something to celebrate. This is something to to sing praises and, and to worship God and to honor God with. If you're having a good day, it's okay to have a good day. And there's this funny thing in Christian communities that sometimes if we're having too good of a day, we'll like mute that because we think it's like, not really, you know, demonstrating empathy to those of us around who who are struggling. And so we create this guise of a muted life in light of celebrating what God is doing. And I I understand why we want to mourn with those who are mourning, but we also need to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And it's okay to bless God and to honor God and to come in with a smile if life is generally going well for you. It's okay to celebrate those things. James says, are you happy? Sing your heart out. Sing praises to God for all that he has done in your life. And one of the things that I I love about Matt, our worship pastor and, and the entire team that he has on our worship team is no matter where you're at, when you come into church on a Sunday, there's usually going to be at least one song that will speak to directly wherever you're at. Like if you're coming in full of joy, there's probably going to be a song that will encourage you to lift your voice with joy and with worship. But at the same time, if you're coming in suffering in the midst of trials or in the midst of pain, there's at least going to be a song that's, that's going to allow your heart to engage with that as well. No matter where you're at on the spectrum of, of mourning to joy, there's, there's going to be a way, even if it's just a chorus or a lyric, for you to connect with what God wants to do and desires to do in your heart that morning. Very intentional, very purposeful for Matt and the team to create kind of a worship opportunity that can reach as many people who come no matter where you're at on a Sunday morning. And James is is saying that this kind of vulnerability, this kind of authenticity is actually a mark of a healthy community. Where if you're mourning, you can get prayer. If you're happy, you can sing praises. And this kind of reality Uh, needs to be an integral part of who we are and who you are as a follower of Christ, this kind of authentic living, vulnerable living. This is the first thing that you're called to from this text. If you look at verse, verse 14, I think we can pull out another thing. This is what verse 14 says. He says, are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray for you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. So you're called to vulnerability, but but you're also called to healing. You're called to a life of healing. And we always want to create a community and a culture where you can pursue God's healing power in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit, in your body, in your relationships, This is something that James is is inviting us into. James doesn't say, hey, you know what? If you're sick 
and things aren't going well for you, just get a pint of ice cream, turn on Netflix, and just complain about all of your struggles while you sit on your couch. No, James is saying you should go to church. If there's something going on in your heart and in your life, you should get into church. You should ask for prayer because God would love to heal you. God would love to move in your heart. And if you're not sick, God would love to enlist you on the prayer team and have you pray for somebody else who might be struggling. This is in God's nature. It's in God's characteristics. He loves to heal his people. And and at Vineyard Church of the Rockies, we have one of these rich histories where we've seen a number of healings here in our community. If you've been here for a while, I want to remind you, just think about some of the things that you have seen. We've seen lives saved and turned around. We've seen babies healed. We've seen cancer removed. We've seen depression lifted. We have seen a variety of different things happen in our midst. And we have to struggle with, with the pain of unanswered prayer as well, like, like many do. But that's not going to keep us from the pursuit of healing. That's not going to keep us from continuing to press into the fullness of what God has for us. There's been a rich, rich history here. And I think God wants to continue that. But when you read verse 14, there, there are a couple words that can trip you up. There's a couple of words that if you're not careful, you can almost like read your experience into them and kind of add some language between the lines. And so I just want to take a quick aside and talk about a few of those things that have the potential to trip you up this morning. There's two words in particular I want to address, elders and anoint. Elders and anoint. Sometimes these trip folks up because... Uh, we read, like I said, our, our own assumptions into the text. And so I just want to talk for a brief moment about what these things mean and then kind of how they are, are applied in our own context here at the Vineyard. Elders doesn't, uh, doesn't mean professional Christians. Sometimes we actually make those synonymous. We think that, oh, oh, um, I need to get the elders. I need to, I need to get the people who are prayed to pray to pray for me because I'm not doing very well. But this text, it doesn't actually say get the professional Christians. It says the elders. And I realize that sometimes we can, we can speak that into our own understanding. But it's not true that you need a professional Christian to pray for you in order to be made well. Actually, you'll, you'll notice on Sunday mornings when we do the prayer ministry up here, very rarely is there a pastor praying for somebody. Very rarely is there a pastor praying for somebody. It's the people who've, who've been trained and, and equipped to pray for folks. We, we believe that everybody can pray for the sick. And so it's usually just folks who attend our church, who are plugged into our community that are up here praying for people. Elders isn't synonymous with professional Christians. Elders also not synonymous with older. Elder doesn't equal older. I mean, it can be older, but it doesn't have to be older. Elder, it, it really technically the word in the, in the truest essence of what it is just means overseer. Overseer And biblically, the Bible does talk a lot about the type of characteristics and spiritual maturity that an overseer should have. So elder, it, it could be someone who's older, but it really means somebody who's living their life deeply after Christ, who has a sense of growing spiritual maturity and is some form of an overseer. And so here at the vineyard, I mean, we don't usually like walk around and pull you off to the side and kind of deem you now elder of Vineyard Church of the Rockies. I mean, this... It's, we're not like huge on titles here. It's not uh, usually how, how it works in our context. Other churches do it that way, and that's totally fine. But here at the Vineyard, we're, we're just a little bit uh, less title-centric around those things. 
Usually, uh, the way this plays out in, in kind of our everyday community is like a small group leader who's maybe overseeing that community and gathering together. And so we really, a church our size, we really, there's no way all the pastors and staff can pray for everybody every week. But if you're in a small group, that's a great place to enter into that small group with vulnerability and say, I'm not doing very well. I need prayer. Can you pray for me? Can you gather this small group around me and pray for me? Because I need God to move in my life. I need him to unlock some things in my life. We have to rely on a variety of people at a church's size in order to continue to minister to one another. So that's kind of the first word. I just wanted to spend a moment unpacking that a little bit. The other one is the word anoint. And specifically in the text, it says to anoint with oil in the name of the Lord. And I just want to, I just like full disclosure, if we just slow down and think about this for a minute. One of the reasons why this trips us up sometimes is because the church has made this a little weird right? Like we just have, we've grabbed this and we've made it a little bit weird. You know, I actually was anointed one time with oil before I was even a Christian. Yeah, it was like this really, it was the most bizarre five minutes of my life. I can tell you that. I'm going to give you a window into what a non-Christian thinks when, when, when this happens. I was in a group, I was a group of about 80 people, 80 men, and there was this guy that was leading this time of prayer. And one by one, we went through the line and he anointed us all with oil. And I had no, absolutely no idea what was happening. I remember watching about 70, 75 people go in front of me. And, and actually, there were two things happening for me. One, I was, I was, I was drawn to it in a way. And if you look at the story of my life, this happened when I was in college. I ended up giving my life to Christ about six months after this happened. So I think God was awakening my heart to some spiritual realities before I gave my life to him. I think that's true. I was generally drawn to this man. I thought, man, I don't believe in what this guy is talking about, but I'm impressed that he has a deep conviction around it. Like I, I might not actually believe in, in what he believes in happening in this place. Of course I do now. But, but I, in that moment, I remember thinking, but I am impressed by him. Like he has a deep conviction to this, this thing that he believes. And the second thing that was happening was I was just watching all these things take place. I had no, simply no idea what was happening. But I, I stayed in line. And when I got up to, I was like probably 78 or 79 out of 80. And when I got up to him, he pulled me close and he prayed for me. And he took some of that oil, and this is kind of what it you know, looks like if, you, if you've never heard this phrase before, see this. He dipped his fingers in oil and just kind of put a cross on my forehead, and he prayed for me, anointing me with oil. And I remember thinking, wow, this is like a special moment. I don't know, I don't have the words for it, but this is kind of a special moment. And then he was done, and then instantly I thought, how soon can I wipe this off of my face? right? Like, am I going to get like zits all over my forehead now? Like what's, like you kind of sheepishly turn and kind of like, oh man, I'm sweating pretty bad in here. You know, like you just don't know what to do with that, you know? And, and as a non-Christian, I remember walking through that line thinking, is it dishonoring if I just wipe it off right away? And, and, and actually as a Christian now, I still sometimes have those thoughts and, and those questions, right? I had no idea what was going on. But sometimes we, we read this verse and we, we read verses like this and, and I think as Christians, we want these things to happen so badly that we, that we then just like universally apply it to every time we're praying for somebody. Like all of us, it's not a real prayer unless we have oil. Right? I've even had somebody tell me it's not, it's not a real anointing unless that oil has been imported straight from Jerusalem. What? Where is that? 
Where is that? That must be like James 8, right? There is no James 8 in case you're, in case you're wondering. No, we come, up, we come up with odd things, and I think largely coming from a place of a deep desire to want to see this stuff happen. Right, so, so we, we need to make sure that we always have the oil. We need to, you know, they, they would want to give me a super soaker with olive oil where I can just like universally spray everybody every morning and make sure that we're all, we're all covered. We're not going to do that here. We're not going to do that. And, and, and I think it's interesting, especially when you look at the context of the entire Bible, uh, to see how often other people anointed, you know, folks with oil. Do you know how many times Jesus anointed someone with oil when he prayed for them? Zero. He never, and, and, and I realize that, that the Gospels are being a little bit more descriptive. James is being a little more prescriptive. And so there, there's a nuance to that. But if we just look at precedent, I mean, maybe we should have mud pits up here that we could pray for people. Because he spit in the mud and put it on that guy's face. And, but that's not, we don't want to just take one text and universally apply it to every single time we pray for folks. And, and you know, the interesting thing is, is that we I pray with oil and I pray with no oil. And, and the reality is because verse 14 is not primarily about the oil. It's primarily about the healing. And so I think the question that we need to wrestle with this morning is, how are you pressing into healing? How are you yourself pressing into healing? When you're sick, do you ask for prayer? When someone you love isn't doing well, do you have any faith to pray for them? Or, or are you willing to come forward for prayer when you yourself are, are struggling? This is part of presenting your faith in community, presenting it in a vulnerable, vulnerable way, allowing people to have access to some of the things that you're struggling with instead of always trying to independently navigate your walk with Christ. This is one of the invitations for us. This is one of the ways that we can press in to healing, to see God move in our lives. You know, I was reading a commentary in, in preparation just kind of for this message, and I ran across this line. I really liked it. The, 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 uh, the scholar said, this text, James 5, actually the word oil here, it can be medicinal or sacramental, either one. And so it's really interesting. He, he kind of pulled out this idea that, that the Christian life is one full of penicillin and prayer. And this is how we can approach these things. Use everything that God has presented to you. Like, like get the penicillin and ask for prayer. But if, if I'm just being like really honest, just disclosing my own journey with you, I have seen healings in my life. My wife has been healed. I've been healed by things. We've, we've prayed for folks and seen them healed. But there are still times when I'll just go the penicillin route and not bring any prayer into the equation. Where it's just easier to just go for the medicine. It's just easier. Instead, James is saying, what about a life of prayer? How are you pressing into healing? How are you keeping this alive and part of your life? I thank God for modern medicine. Many of you know, in my immediate family, we, we are in, in deep need of modern medicine. I, that we believe in this stuff, right? But James is saying, but don't forget about prayer. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be asking God to supernaturally move in our lives. How are you pressing into healing? God has called us into this life of healing. He's called us into this life of vulnerability. And the final point from this text, one that, that quite honestly is not that popular today, is that, is that we're called to a life of confession. We're called to confession. 
James says in verse 16 that we should confess our sins to one another so that we can be healed. And it's a really interesting text because in some parts of the Bible, sickness and sin and confession aren't tied to healing. There are different stories where where those aren't tied to healing. But there are other stories like this one where sin, sickness, and confession are absolutely tied to healing. It's absolutely part of the equation. And it, and it makes sense when you think about it because the ancient mind had sin and sickness that they were tied together in a really dynamic way. They absolutely 100% believe that sin and sickness were related together. And, and it's not just since modern history where we've kind of divided the two ideas that sin and sickness have nothing to do with each other. But if you continue kind of the modern thought, what's interesting is it's starting to come back around. And doctors and psychologists and medical professionals, they're actually starting to understand yet again that these two things are tied together. And they're doing studies and they have hard data now that play this whole kind of reality out. They they don't call it sin. They use other words, but they say things like, we have studied how the human body can, can, uh, how quick it can heal after surgery tied to bitterness and unforgiveness. You know, there's actual medical studies out on this stuff. Now, it's, it's fascinating things. As you harbor unforgiveness, as you harbor bitterness towards one another, your body doesn't respond quite as quickly. They're doing studies now on, on what anxiety and stress can do to your mind in comparison to things like gratitude. And they have real hard data around some of these things that are quite honestly just biblical truths. And we've known for quite some time that, that, you know, like habitual substance abuse can have effects on your body. It can actually harm your body. And so it's very interesting how we're now actually leaning into some of the old ancient thought, how sin and sickness may very well be tied together. There's a correlation between the two. And this text, when you really look at it, it's interesting because sin and sickness are tied together. So why wouldn't healing and confession be tied together? And James just kind of rolls this out in a really interesting way for us. And, and even more, James is saying not just to confess to God, but to confess to each other. Not just to confess vertically, but to confess horizontally. Now, this is an interesting thought. Why would we do this? Because confessing my sins to another, they can't save me. Confessing my sins to another person, like they didn't die for me. Only Jesus is king. Only Jesus died and, 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 and was risen from the dead so that I could be forgiven. Why would I confess to another? And James is telling us though that it is a mark of spiritual maturity to confess to one another. It's obedience to Christ to confess to one another. And I like to think that those reasons are usually enough, but I realize they're not always enough. Simple obedience, spiritual maturity. So let me also submit to you this morning that I think confession and confessing to each other is also present in the life of a Christian because it benefits you. It's good for you to confess to each other. What happens to your heart when you confess to one another is it it begins to cleanse you from shame. All of that stuff that you're dealing with that's in the dark, it brings it right out into the light. 
It says, I'm not gonna let that, that wheel of shame that just runs in my mind over and over and over again to have power and control over my life anymore. I'm gonna take that and I'm gonna bring it out. I'm gonna confess it to one another and I'm gonna allow the Holy Spirit to move because he will move when vulnerability meets confession. And he'll move with healing in your heart. He'll move with healing in your heart. If you grew up in a church or a family where confession was awkward, or rigid, or, or was maybe even used in an inappropriate way, or used against you, can I, can, I at least, can I at least say that although that was a bad experience, it was created from a biblical understanding. And I'm not trying to call like the ways that you were hurt in your past good. I would never call something bad good. I'm, that experience was a bad experience. If, if it was a bad one, it was a bad one. I'm not trying to, to redefine that experience for you. But I am trying to say, don't let a bad experience in your past keep you from a biblical one in the future. Don't let pain from the, from the way that it was misused keep you from the way that it could be used in a biblical way today. There is real uh, power. There's, there's a trueness. There's a there's a there's a truth behind confessing sins to one another. And I think sometimes we allow those unfortunate experiences in our past to keep us from really healthy ones today. So let James' words just kind of wash over you with an encouragement that there is a trueness to this. There is an invitation for this to be part of our community. I want to close with just a story about how I've seen this play out in my own life. This, this is a story that I'm like currently in the midst of right now. So it's super, super fresh to me, but I want to share it because I think it really demonstrates how these three realities play uh, together, vulnerability, healing, and confession. Last year, many of you uh, know the story, you've heard me talk about it before, but last year when my brother died, I was dealing with all kinds of, of different emotions, a lot of pain, a lot of anger, and I had to really process and, and, and really had to do a lot of work around that stuff. And largely, I, I thought that I had, had done it. Largely, I thought I, I was done with, with the grieving and, and the mourning and the anger process. But those of you who've been through that kind of pain, you know that usually grieving and mourning comes in waves, sometimes months apart, sometimes even years apart. And it was about a month ago that I, I was like thrust into another wave of grieving and mourning. And I started praying about it and just asking God, why do I have to do this again? Why do I have to think about this again? Why do I have to go through this again? And I was thinking that, that God's presence was just going to kind of come and make my heart feel whole again. That's not what happened this time. Instead, God's, I feel like God spoke to me and said, you're actually harboring some anger and some unforgiveness towards people who, who are still alive in your family. I thought, well, that can't be right. Surely not me. And so I started praying about that. I started asking God and actually highlighted a person in my family. And it was, you know, it was those prayer moments that are so convicting, but they're, they're so good for you. Because then you come face to face with what, some of what your heart is actually dealing with. I did. 
I did have some anger. I did have some unforgiveness that I was, I was navigating. And quite honestly, I, I think I just stuffed it so far down deep in my heart that it wasn't boiling up to the surface. And then I, and then I you know, became the lead pastor here last May and then my life kind of got turned upside down. And I think I, I simply just forgot about some of these things. And in this moment of prayer about a month ago, God brought it all back up to the surface. And I realized as I was navigating this through prayer, you know, that as a, as a Christian, as I read the scripture, and as I, I read how, how my life is supposed to reflect Jesus, it's really not in the cards for me to have unforgiveness in my heart. It's not, it's not really part, uh, a part of who I am to walk around with bitterness. And so I felt like I, felt like I needed to call this person. So I picked up my phone and I, and I called them. And I had no idea how they were going to respond. All, all I knew is that I needed to be vulnerable in this moment to what was going on. No idea how, how they were going to respond. I had no idea how they were going to react to what I was sharing. I mean, you hear the words unforgiveness, anger, and bitterness on, on the other end of the line. A lot can go wrong. But I knew that I couldn't control that, but I could control how I was going to, to, to act. I could control how I was going to press into spiritual maturity. And so I, I gave him a call. And in complete vulnerability, I just shared everything, confessed everything that I was dealing with. And I also made a commitment to work on reconciliation as God has made a way for me to be reconciled to him. I cried. And at the same time, the person on the other, other end of the line cried with me. I said, I, and, and they told me, I, I want to commit to reconciliation too. And it doesn't always it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes you can only control the piece that you can control and, and it, it's met with maybe more aggression on the other side, but it's still worth pressing into that because of what the call that is on your heart. And I can tell you that I've just experienced such incredible life and such incredible freedom from having that conversation as hard as it was, as painful as it was. What I saw was when I take vulnerability and I seek healing, and I throw in just a true, honest confession that the Holy Spirit can meet me in that place. And the Holy Spirit can meet you in that place to bring about a transformation in your heart that will change your life forever. And so I, I think as, as we close, I think the questions that we can wrestle with is, what's, what's the invitation for you? What's the invitation for you? How can you press into vulnerability this week? How can you press into healing, even for, for either for your own life or, or for someone, someone who's around you? How can you press into confession this week, seeking the freedom from that shame that has you shackled down? How can James 5 inspire you to live a more mature Christian life. Let's pray.